does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin, I did my part. I forwarded the Paris Campbell sound clip from yesterday when we asked him about Campbell's soup. And he said that it's been a childhood dream of his to do a Campbell's commercial. So I took that clip of him talking about it and on Twitter attached the Campbell's soup folks. Look at you. Yeah. Haven't heard back yet. Crickets? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Tell you what, Paris Campbell continues to play like this. Um, not only could Campbell's be calling, but he's going to garner a pretty nice second contract. And again, that's not something I thought I would be saying at the start of the season. But his health and just the types of plays he's made, um, especially late, and that's something we talked about in the interview with him, um, it's not just the possession stuff. It's a little bit more of the big play. Him creating on his own. After the catch, I thought Campbell was incredibly honest with us yesterday. Let's play a clip, Mark. Um, just the Jeff Saturday tone of Paris Campbell's thoughts. Um, again, it's just been a week, but this was Campbell yesterday. Uh, what Jeff Saturday's brought to the Colts. I know it's only been a week, but what have you thought about the tone um, that Jeff Saturday has brought to your football team? Man, I've loved it. I've absolutely 100% loved it. Um, he just brings a different level of accountability um, just each and every day, man. Like, he, number one is he, he's going to keep it 100% with you. Like, he's going to tell you the real. And um, just the way that he holds each each and every player accountable, no matter if you're the, the top of the roster or you're the bottom of the roster, like, everyone has a job to do. And he's going to let you know if you're if you're failing to do your job or if you're doing a good job. You know what I mean? Um, and, like, one thing that I appreciated about Jeff is, like, he came in day one and he he just being himself, man. Like he's not trying to be someone he's not. Um, he he's that fire. You can see that that fiery player that he used to be. You can see that just kind of coming back out, just with his passion for the game. Um, and you can truly tell that he wants us to succeed, to wants us to succeed, and wants us to win. And um, you know, he just brings a different level of passion, different level of accountability to to the team. So I I appreciate it. I love it. Interesting comment there, where. Jeff Saturday has just been himself, right? He's not come in and tried to be somebody other than himself. There is a level, you know, for a Jeff Saturday, you can come in and do that more so than if they'd elevated or brought somebody in. You know, let's say they they brought somebody in that was, you know, Ted Lasso. Like, wait, what? Who is this guy? And, And that... You have coaches that come in, Kevin, I think early in a tenure, and they're trying to prove themselves, and they're a little up front, and there's like a toxic masculinity of like, I'm the alpha, I'm in charge. You guys stink. I'm here for a reason. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Saturday, like, hey, you guys know who I am. Like, let's just go, you know? And all of the interactions that I've had with them, Jake, and I'm sure you would echo this, it's the initial genuine nature that is so real. I mean, I think we feel it every time he's been on our show. Um, And I think he addressed the elephant in the room right away. You guys have heard me talk about the transparent word that some players mentioned. And that was really needed, I think. Because Jeff got it. You know, he he asked Jim Mercer, wait, why are you hiring me? And 
think that kind of helped ease some things. I thought a couple other of you know, points that Campbell made there. Um, he said something to us at one point in the interview, Jake, where it's probably a combination of two things. We probably needed a different voice, and any voice would have provided some sort of jolt, but I also think we needed his type of voice, a different sort of leader, a little bit more loud, you know, a little bit louder, a little bit of a different sound to it. I'm sure the offensive line background helps out. I'm sure his background within the organization, just kind of his, um, you know, passion for this football team probably helps out. So I think it is twofold, you know, and we see this around the NFL. Anytime you have a an interim, you know, you can point to that initial sort of jolt. But I also think the type of leader that Saturday is, the way he carries himself, how it is a bit of a 180 from Frank Reich, right or wrong, um, I think that is something the Colts have benefited from. Kevin, who is the most respected former player in the NFL, in, in football that players that are currently playing would have seen play when they were growing up. So in other words, I'm not saying, you know, Roger Staubach. I mean, I, you know, there's not a player in the NFL that saw Roger Staubach play. There's not a player that saw Joe Montana play. So among players who have retired recently enough that guys in the NFL saw them when they were playing, who is the most respected? What? Who is the creme de la creme? I mean, would Peyton? Correct. And... When it comes to Jeff Saturday, not only is every player in that locker room going to know who he is because of the fact that he's been on ESPN, but he's been a fairly consistent presence around the franchise in general to begin with. But this is different than, hey, we're bringing in a play. Like, I wonder how how many guys that played for Tony Dungy, who was a very well-respected guy, don't get me wrong, but how many players even realized that Tony Dungy was an NFL player? You know, Tony Dungy didn't lean on the fact that he was a former player. For the players in that locker room with Jeff Saturday, not only can he just be – he can just be himself because he doesn't have to prove anything in terms of his resume because every player in that locker room knows – if they don't remember watching Jeff Saturday play, they absolutely know that he is the guy that was literally the on-field eyes, ears, and lieutenant of Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. Not Boomer Esiason. Not Ryan Fitzpatrick. Peyton Manning. Like, this is... So, yeah, this guy, man, he, he knows what he's talking about because, I mean, he, he was the eyes and ears for Peyton. He worked with Peyton. He was in the rooms with Peyton. It gives him a credibility that players automatically are going to just naturally defer to that then allows Jeff Saturday to just be himself and not have to come in and pull the whole, like, let me tell you what I've done in this league. They already know that, right? Now, in terms of that change, question then becomes, Frank Reich is also a guy. Like, Frank Reich, he is one that probably a lot of guys don't realize he played in the league. I mean, they know, but you get what I'm saying there. But was the change necessary from the locker room standpoint from Frank Reich to anyone else? Here's Paris Campbell. Were you surprised by the coaching change? Um, to be honest with you, uh, no, because of just how the season, you know, how, how the season was going. 
Um, and to be honest, like I, I still like feel that the players had something to do with that coaching change. You know what I mean? Just because at the end of the day, like you know, what I'm saying anyone can lose their job in the, in this profession. And at the end of the day, like it's about winning. And if you're not doing that, um, and you know, there's there's bound up, you know, for bad stuff to happen. So and just the way like that we were losing. You know what I mean, we were losing some close games, and then to go out <clears throat> in New New England and just have you know that bad of an offensive performance. Um, I just figured some type of change would come because I'm not, you know what I'm saying, I'm not naive to the nature of the business. Was it needed? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that it was needed, um, you know what I mean, because, you know, I'm not the one that's, you know, in that chair making those decisions. Um, all I can do is continue to, you know, play my 111th on the field, uh, continue to do my job, uh, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who, you know, has the head coaching job. Like, I like as players, we're, we're like I said, we're professionals. Uh, so we got to come to work regardless. And at the end of the day, our job is to do our job, <clears throat> make sure we're doing it to the best of our ability, and at the end of the day, get wins. So it doesn't it doesn't matter who's at the head coaching helm. Like we we've got to come to work regardless. I thought something Tony Dungy mentioned yesterday, Jake, that was interesting with us is you know Jeff Saturday's offensive line background. He was able to go into the building last week and call out that unit, and it's not going to fall on deaf ears. Like they're going to say, hey, you know, this guy has actually watched us a little bit recently as well. He's played in this building. I know it might sound cheesy. I think the Jeff Saturday, Peyton Manning sideline clip, I think that resonates a little bit. I would agree with that. Inside of the locker room. I would agree with that. And I just feel like you add up all of that, and there's a reason why the Colts reacted in the way they did. Now, without question, when you play the Las Vegas Raiders, oh, man. That's a dream scenario for Jeff Saturday in his first game. What would it look like if you would have played the Patriots the week prior? Or, you know, we'll see on Sunday against the Eagles. Those are obviously questions, um, or at least the Eagles one will be answered a bit on Sunday. Um, But I just think it was time. It was time. And I think Campbell did a great job yesterday in saying, we're at fault too, but I also think that a new voice was welcomed. Hypothetically. Which is probably ridiculous because hypothetical means we don't have to worry about it. But hypothetically, Colts had played decent in New England and lost, you know, 21-20. They then turned around and looked flat and lose to the Raiders. Does Jim Mersey make this coaching change with Philadelphia next on the docket? Or does the fact that they had a team that was equally hapless in the Raiders give him the flexibility of schedule to make a change and get a guy in that can get his feet underneath him? No, I think you would have made it. If you had that level of performance against the Raiders, yeah. that would have been embarrassing I mean, that it was for Jim Mersey to make that move. I think it was just a... I don't even think he was paying any attention to who was on the schedule. I want to read you something that somebody sent me this morning. Uh, Really early this morning, by the way. Uh, Jake, good morning. I listen to your show every day as part of the podcast. I'd like to know why no one has mentioned that maybe benching Matt Ryan was a good thing and actually a form of accountability in the form it was saying, if you aren't playing well, you're going to sit no matter who you are. Maybe that benching made him focus on the details of operation and other players saw the message. Your thoughts? You know, Jim Mercer wanted Matt Ryan benched a lot earlier than he was. So I I am not going to give credit to that and say that it sent some message and it gave the Colts the best chance to win in the short term. 
Um, I understand where the question's coming from, and obviously Matt Ryan had um, some major, major issues that, especially with protecting the football. But I, I, I don't. I, I think it's given way too much credit to act like that was the necessary move in trying to win now, trying to create the best win now product on the football field. Um, I don't think that was the case with that move. Is there any chance that Jim Mersey knew that he wanted to make a coaching change but needed to secure that that was going to be acceptable amongst the masses by them not pl- by them having games where they did not perform well and he knew that quarterback would be the area where that would take place? Was putting Sam Ellinger in in Jim Mersey's eyes, a win-win because it gave him an opportunity to see a young quarterback that he wanted to evaluate while at the same time undercutting a head coach that no, he was looking that to seems replace. seems really shady. I, I, I'm going to say no. Ursay thought Sam Ellinger in the short term gave the Colts the best chance to win. You were rolling your eyes there. I, I understand wanting to see a young player and evaluate him. But if in this point in the year, based on the way they were playing, you thought a guy that had never taken an NFL snap was your best chance to win, that's either an indictment on your timing of your evaluation process or whoever it is that's putting together your roster. The guy's a winner. He was just done. (laughs) He was done with Ryan. I mean, think about it, Jake. He had that Jacksonville performance where the Colts scored 38 points. Yeah, and yet a week later, they don't play well in Tennessee, and he's done with them. Then it's again we're trying to put ourselves into Jim Irsay's decision making brain. <laughs> uh, good luck would probably be the answer to that. John was curious if Patrick or if uh, Paris Campbell could be a candidate for comeback player of the year. I I would say no. I gotta think that's Derrick Henry or Dak Prescott or I don't know. Comeback player of the year is. Always been kind of murky for me of like, you know, how much does a guy need to miss time to qualify for that? I, I Don't rule out Carson uh, Wentz, baby. It would be uh, Prescott or Henry. Although he's maybe coming I'm, back from his own ineptitude. Maybe I'm forgetting somebody on that front. I see a lot of people are, well, not not a lot, but I saw the chatter yesterday. Did you see um, people were taking pictures of the Lakers GM? Oh, yeah. In the a airport, lot of speculation on that. Rob Palinka being seen in the airport. Look, he's boarding a plane for Indy. He's wearing sweats. He's got good hair. On his way. Going to make a deal. Wheeling and dealing. I guess two things. Did no Rob's one realize... wheeling and dealing. The Champions Classic was here. Yeah. I would say easily the biggest one-night like, college basketball showcase of NBA talent all year. Correct. And then two, the Pacers are in Charlotte. Correct. Who would he be meeting with? Correct. Even if that was... Going to take. Well, well there were what, something with the mall across the street. There were seventy scouts or something there, right? Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob two hundred milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Yeah, I would guess a big, big number. 
Jake, a lot of people are mentioning Geno Smith for Comeback Player of the Year. I was talking with you in the break about this. I'm always torn on, like, what is Comeback Player of the Year? Is it you're coming back from an injury or you're coming back from not being very good? Right. No, you're right. And, Mark, mm. you brought up a name that probably should be atop the list now that I think about it more. Saquon Barkley. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Dak Prescott, like, from an injury standpoint. Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I, I, I would think those would qualify in that area. But um, still, Paris Campbell, obviously. Uh, pretty great story. And uh, enjoyed that conversation with him yesterday. By the way, where is Campbell's soup based? <clears throat> Lima, Ohio. Is that it? <laughs> I have no Going idea. Going Lima, Ohio. You got a guess there? Uh... No, I don't. I've never, never contemplated it. Because if we're going to get Paris Campbell a, a soup deal, we need to know who we're dealing with. Camden, there. New Jersey? Is that it? That's what it says. Oh, okay. They do have a um, supply company in Ohio. That's Dewan Campbell Wagner. Campbell Soup sometime. Headquarters is Camden, New Jersey. There okay. you go. Well, we need to get the Campbell Soup folks on the line to let them know that Paris Campbell's dream is to be a soup Don't spokesperson. Don't the Colts play the Giants? New Jersey's right over there. Yeah, little New Year's Day stop. There you go. Uh this our next guest will be there on New Year's Day. He just got back from Las Vegas. He is Stephen Holder from ESPN.com. Stephen, I want to begin on the Shaquille Leonard front. I I feel like there's a lot of areas you could go with this. Obviously, his own health. He's now coming back. Going to have to come back from a second back surgery here in five months. Um, how effective does he look moving forward? Do we think about his career? And then I just think linebacker in general, they've got a lot of questions entering this offseason with Bobby O'Karake and EJ Speed as free agents. Um, This position all of a sudden has risen to a lot, a lot of uncertainty there. And I don't think we've ever really said that in the Chris Boward era because it's been pretty stable throughout. Yeah. um, Well, well, first, I'm I'm, I'm glad we had this conversation because I have always wondered where Campbell Soup headquarters was. Thank you, Stephen. So, See, that's the thing. Educate and entertain. Just a tick of sarcasm and with Stephen Holder a there. Of sarcasm there. To start this Wednesday morning. No sarcasm so, at all from Stephen. On on the linebackers, I, I think what you just outlined is basically three of their top four guys at that position uh, about whom there are questions. So th- that's a problem, and it, you're right. They have drafted really well, and it hasn't ever really been a question. They've just rolled guys through, and and then they've never really fallen off. I mean, I, I think this year in particular that demonstrates that, right? With with Shaq Leonard barely seeing the field, there has not been a drop-off at all. But they have had to make a couple of decisions at that position. We saw this with Anthony Walker a couple years ago, and – he he was playing on a part-time basis. That, you know, it was musical chairs at that point, and he wanted to be the guy somewhere else. He was able to go to Cleveland and and become one of their core defensive players. But that's because, but that's when they had everything lined up behind him. Now they don't have that. Uh, so I, I do think I do agree with you. I do think it impacts how they move forward at that position. I think Okereke in particular. I've changed my stance on him. I thought coming into this season, I thought he was a little bit of a tease. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, I, I think certainly a guy with a lot of talent, a guy with playmaking ability, but I never saw it on a consistent basis. I, and I was kind of disappointed just in terms of the consistency. This year, I think he's been more consistent and we're seeing more playmaking. We talked about this earlier, Stephen. Stephen Holder's our guest from ESPN.com, but I want to get your opinion on it. With Shaquille Leonard and this latest development, what is your level of concern 
that this is career-threatening and not just something that ends this season for him, obviously? Well, it's just so hard to know, but I, I do think that you have to have some concern. I mean, I don't have all the information is the problem, right? None of us do. But two back surgeries in five months, it, it doesn't – I wouldn't be sleeping well, right? I mean, I don't think any of us would. I mean, one back surgery would, would knock me out, okay? <laughs> I'm not even going to pretend. Uh, this is his second, uh, and it's, it, it's addressing the problem that – that apparently wasn't completely fixed the first time. And and here's why it's concerning. Another reason, I guess, it's concerning is because we were told that it was fixed the first time. It, that was supposed to be the game changer. And and I get it. Medicine is hard. So, I, you know, I don't want people out there saying, ah, they lied. No, I mean, medicine's hard, man. And, and this is a very, very, very complicated issue he's been dealing with. And we know that because of the length of the length of time he's been dealing with this and, and how difficult it's been for the doctors to pin it down. So all that being said, though, uh, th- that is also reason why, you know, it, it gives you some concern because it has been such a delicate thing for, for them to, to figure out. And yeah, I think it's fair to, to raise questions and have questions. And Stephen Holder's with us from ESPN.com. Stephen, from your conversations, you know, post game in Vegas or, you know, last week in the locker room, where do you think this team has felt Jeff Saturday's impact the most? I think it was undeniable. I think it wasn't his. Uh, it, it wasn't the X's and O's. It wasn't like he waved the magic wand on the offensive line. It was. It wasn't any of that. It was he gave them some juice and some belief. And now I will caution people, and I, I think Jeff Saturday himself, which I give him a lot of credit for, he himself said that ain't enough. <laughs> okay. That ain't going to sustain you. Because if they would have gone out there and got their doors blown off, who the hell cares that they had some energy during the week, right? They have to sustain it. At the end of the day, your players got to beat the other players, and and that's what happened ultimately. However, however, I do think that that a reset helped them, and he was really the biggest part of that reset. Uh, and I give Jeff a lot of credit for for uh, and I've written this as well. I give him a lot of credit for the way he handled things. He cannot get enough credit for that. Uh, I want to say this very, very specifically. He came in understanding just what a what a you know sort of a, a messy situation this was. Let's just call it what it was. The whole thing was sloppy, in my opinion. Okay, the way it was handled and just just the unexpected nature of it. It was it was it was kind of messy. It is what it is. And Jeff, to his credit, is smart enough and sensitive enough to understand that and came in and said, all right, guys, look, I'm just me. I'm going to do what I know how to do, which is, you know, get the, get in there and, and see what I see and offer help where I can, but I'm also not going to come in here and reinvent the wheel because that would have been the worst thing he could do. So anyway, I'll wrap it up. But he has, the way he handled this, say what you want about the decisions that were made, right? But the way Jeff handled this, I think, was absolutely off the charts. Stephen, looking at Jeff Saturday in the post-game celebration in Las Vegas, Jim Mercer clearly was elated. That energy that Saturday brings was very, you know, it was noticeable, right? You could tell that players were feeding off of it and they were jazzed and, and you, you know, you could hear Saturday's energy. And yet... 
I've seen the rounds. I've seen people share it out and about that in that video and the still shots of it in particular, it literally was like, you know, 60 people that were celebrating and one guy in Chris Ballard looking like he didn't want to be there. And that's unfair to just take a snippet and say, and, and make an immediate call on what Chris Ballard's emotions were. But in your opinion, your observation, people you've talked to, whatever it may be, is Chris Ballard finding himself in an uncomfortable situation? Well, look, it's hard to psychoanalyze him, right? And and he also, just for the record, put this out there, he's a really stoic kind of guy, right? I mean, so so it's not unusual for him to be that way. That being said, look, we all saw that press conference. <laughs> I mean, look, just the optics of it were he looked like he wanted to be anywhere on the planet but there. And 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 here's what we do know about Chris Ballard. He is a guy who who takes great pride in being in control. And he he's kind of a, a, a dominant leader. And I don't mean he's a jerk. I don't mean that. What I mean is you know he's in charge. Okay? Like go back and watch the uh, the, with the next pick videos that the team puts out every draft season. I think you you get a very good sense for his personality in there. He's a guy who, who empowers the people around him. He, he really does, and people like working for him. I will, I will say that is a thousand percent true. But he also carries himself with a little swagger, man. You know, he's kind of a, a cocky SOB, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I, I do think when you factor in who he is and how he operates and then you 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 sort of contrast that against what is currently happening which is decisions were taken out of his hands to the best that we can decipher well it leads to some questions doesn't it and Stephen Holder is with us ESPN.com looking ahead to Sunday Stephen um, you think Nick Sirianni calls Frank Reich this week and do you think Frank Reich entertains that call? <laughs> uh, good question. I don't know. Um, I, I, I guess it's certainly possible. I mean, uh, I don't know. That's a, that's a very good question. I think I think the question, the bigger question, is what does Frank Reich do in a situation like that? Now, Nick may may not want to put him in that position. You know what I mean? And and Frank is is a guy with a lot of dignity. Right. And obviously close with Parks Frazier. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Parks is, and and his wife, Carolyn, as we all know them very well, right? I mean, they are like family to Frank Wright. You know what I mean? Like, literally like family. Yeah, officiated their wedding. Officiated their wedding. I mean, he has counseled them uh, throughout their marriage. I mean, like, this guy, he's not just like, you know, the boss. He he wasn't just their boss, his boss. He was, he was like a, like a father figure. Okay, I don't. I, I want people to understand like the depth of that relationship. So I I think it would really be awkward for Frank. Um, and and I think at the end of the day, look, Nick Nick helped build that offense. You know, and and Parks was there sitting right next to him the whole time. So I don't know that he needs a lot of help <laughs> necessarily. You know, now certainly with with Matt Ryan and, you know, they have a different quarterback and some different skill players and such. So it's not exactly the same, but, but philosophically it is the same. Yeah. Jonathan Gannon, the defensive coordinator in Philly, he was yeah. a DB coach, um, in the Frank Reich era as well. So a lot of I, staff I think familiarity. A, I, think 
it, it's a big challenge for for the Colts. I mean, I, I don't think it helps. It, right. it certainly it certainly complicates this for them. I mean. Uh, and then Philly coming off a loss too, so I mean, yeah, this is this is complicated for the Colts. I, I do think Monday night it, it certainly showed a blueprint, and honestly, yeah. it's a blueprint, Stephen, that the Colts have utilized before against these types of teams. You know, you go back yeah. to Kansas City in 2019, you go back to Buffalo last year, the high-powered offenses playing keep away, pounding it with Marlon Mack and Arrowhead, pounding it with Jonathan Taylor last year in Buffalo. They have executed. You know the ideal blueprint against these teams. The question I guess I have now is: Was last week simply the ultimate recipe to get out of a slump and playing the Raiders and playing a team that was much more dysfunctional than you? Um, because if you look at Philly's track record this season, the run defense has been the one glaring issue for them. So I'm very, very curious to see how that plays out because again, in past years, the Colts have the blueprint. Haven't really shown it this year. Showed it a little bit last week. Now can you do it uh, for a second straight week against an opponent that has struggled against the run, but still is not going to be you know, chirping at each other after every play like the Raiders were last week? Yeah, I, I, I gotta say, okay, not to take any credit away, but my God, the Raiders. I was stunned. <laughs> they are terrible. I, I mean, it's a sad excuse for a football team right now. I can't believe how bad they are. Uh, you know, Derek Carr is up there crying. I'd be crying too because they <laughs> suck. <laughs> okay, and they have like three or four dudes that are like one of the arguably the best player at those position. respective positions. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's incredible. But that being said, uh, I, I agree with you. I do think the, the Colts they know how to pull this off. The question is, can they do it? I mean, you know, they have maybe a slight. I don't even know if, it's, if edge is the right word, but they may have a somewhat favorable matchup if if what we saw from their offensive line last week was real. But let's see, right? I, I don't I don't know if I'm ready to say that. I, I want to see it for more than one week. And the the Raiders, by the way, the absolute worst pass rushing team in the entire NFL, right? So so some of what we saw from the offensive line, you have to take that into consideration. So, I mean, you know, people may not want to hear it, but it is what it is, right? This game is going to tell us a lot more. But I do agree with the blueprint, and we'll see. I I think the the Colts have a little bit going for them, too, because they know Nick as well, even though he's not calling the plays. But but philosophically, on the other side, you know, some of their run schemes and such, uh, a lot of that will will have ties to what the Colts did as well, I I would say. So just to throw that in there. Steven, I'm – and maybe I dwell, I know this will stun you, Stephen. That sometimes I dwell on things. And, that doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> so I've been dwelling on this whole. I, I I feel like five years from now we're gonna say, do you remember that time when the Colts like they they made a move in the middle of the year and they put Sam Ellinger out there for two games and then all of a sudden they went back to Matt Ryan and like. And then Sam Ellinger joined Scott Tolzien in the annals of Colts history. I don't know that that's the future for Sam Ellinger, but did they see enough to be able to make a long-term decision on him? And if they didn't, when do they revisit that experiment again? And does Jimmer say now toss and turn over why he wasted two weeks? I mean, what all went on there? Unbelievable, right? Um, I think to your first question, did they see enough to to decide who he is? Uh, I I've always felt like Sam Ellinger is a 
I think the, the upside with him, or the ceiling, I guess, is long-term backup quarterback. That is what I have always personally seen. And I know that people within the organization have kind of thought that as well. Now, that can change, but did we see anything in the last couple of weeks that, that suggests that that outlook should change? I say no. I, I think that you, you also, for, for all that we saw <coughs> excuse me, against Washington, you know, which was certainly some smart playmaking and such, right, and, and some, some decent running. For all that we saw there, you know, we also saw all of his limitations against the Patriots. You know, it, he doesn't have the strongest arm. He isn't the biggest guy. You know, he, and he's still a young quarterback, so his processing isn't where it needs to be either. So I think factoring in his inexperience and his physical limitations, he's not the guy. And I think you know that from, from the last couple of weeks. Again, he can change from an experience standpoint. You cannot change from a skill standpoint for the most part, you know, even though he has improved his arm strength to his great credit. Uh, in terms of what went on there, and, and will they regret that? I mean, I, they should. Uh, the only thing I would say is what we, what we may never know is, is whether Matt Ryan could have played either of those games. I mean, Frank Reich did say the week of the Washington game, by midweek he was saying, well, you know, after all that, Matt's made a lot of progress, and who knows, he might have found a way to play. You know, and I don't know if that was a throwaway line or if that was real. But, but didn't they say, Stephen, that this, was, this move was made regardless of health status? Yeah, they did, right. I mean, it was ridiculous then. It's ridiculous now is what I'll say. <laughs> I mean, come on. Um it, it made no sense. And and knowing personally how Frank Reich felt about Matt Ryan, there's no way he would have done that. And I've had people within the organization who have told me this has to be so, influenced by somewhere else. This is me grasping, you know, whatever. But So my question is this, Stephen. If you are the owner of a football team, the two most important people within your organization to help you win are probably your head coach and your quarterback, correct? Yes. And a decision was made by both of those players, or excuse me, by both of those individuals within a three-week span of one another from the owner without consultation seemingly of the general manager, correct? Uh, From all... from all appearances, yes. Yeah, I, I, I mean, can we can we say with any certainty that that they were unilateral? I, no, I can't say that for sure, but certainly they were driven by the owner. Yes, a hundred percent. Again, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com. Stephen, I know it's been a busy, certainly a busy like eight or nine days. Honestly, it's been oh a crazy year, to say the least. Um, so at least got a home game coming up this Sunday and then a little bit of a longer week leading into Pittsburgh. So thank you for the time, and uh, we'll talk to you next Wednesday. All right, guys. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Talk soon. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. 
All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You think Jeremiah Johnson is in line to tour the NASCAR Hall of Fame right now? <laughs> I came to see Bobby Labonte. I'm not leaving until I see that car. A couple of years ago, Kevin, I say couple. It was it just probably been eight years ago. I'm at the Speedway, and I'm leaving, and it was Brickyard weekend, oh and some guy flags me down. And I, I mean, I thought it was a medical emergency. Flags me down and is like going bonkers, and it was because he he wanted me to get a hold of Bobby Labonte for him <laughs> because he had Bobby Labonte's timing belt from like the O2 Brickyard, and he needed to get it signed. <laughs> I go, okay, man. I did not have Bobby Labonte on our bingo card on this Wednesday morning. <laughs> Interstate J- batteries, baby. JJ, are you in line for the NASCAR Hall of Fame right now? <laughs> Oddly enough, as I was walking to get a coffee, I was thinking of the topic Jake might bring up, and I did think the NASCAR Hall of Fame might come up on the list. So, How about Bojangles? Did you get coffee at, at this trip? Did you get coffee at Bojangles? <laughs> no, just Panera. I figured you'd be disappointed. Well, you know, the other storyline I was thinking that you could maybe do some investigative reporting on while you're down in Charlotte, I believe that's where Frank Reich is currently residing. So maybe you can, you know, back in your Fox 59 days, you could try and uh, two birds with one stone, right? Get the exclusive. Well, I do know that, you know, back when when traveling, so this is the first time for me being in Charlotte in a few seasons, we often would see Bill Polian at this game. I think he he resides in the area. So uh, that would be interesting if Bill Polian was here tonight. I don't expect to see Frank Reich, but if he's at the game, I'm, I'm guessing I'm my journalistic background would force me to do an interview during the game, correct? Well, I could not agree more with that. I would say, do you know my favorite Pacers, Hornets, Bally Sports, Fox Midwest broadcast moment is? Well, there's there's been a couple, actually, if you think about it. So I've got three that come to mind immediately. But if it's an in-game interview, uh, we, we talked with David West. Yes. T.J. Warren was going yes. crazy, and that was actually one of my favorites. I loved that David West interview. I what year would that have been? 2018, 2019, something like that? I think it would have been 18... Well, his first season was the 1920 season, right? When he went off in the bubble. So maybe it would have been early in that 1920 season before the pandemic. That was a great interview. This is basically right. David West's insight into you know what made TJ Warren tick as a player and all that. and It, it honestly made me miss David West more than anything. Same, you know, and I hadn't had a chance to really talk with David. I didn't even get a chance to see him that much when he went to San Antonio and uh, and Golden State. So I wasn't sure of his uh, feelings and opinions of the Pacers organization. But that was an interview that I I enjoyed, and I think the fans did as well. Runner up, I'll give you something that happened um, <laughs> that I think Jake will appreciate. After a game, Victor Oladipo missed a couple of free throws, and Tom Crean was here. And during the entire post game show. Tom Crean walked out on the court and and showed Victor Oladipo how he could work on his free throw shooting form, but did so just with the camera in plain sight so he could be seen in the background. 
of our uh, post game show. Of course, right? I love of, that. Of course, I love that. I miss Coach Crean too. Oh yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad someone does. Well, um, I think when Notre Dame's done by the way, Bray, they should hire Tom Crean. Here's my David West trivia for you, which I've mentioned on this program before, but I'll ask Jeremiah Johnson and put him on the spot. Jeremiah, uh, David West bought whose house in Indianapolis? Do you know that? Uh, I did know it. Uh, did he buy Peyton's house? I asked Peyton Manning when when he came back and like did his retirement presser afterwards. I said, "By the way, do you still have your house on Penn?" He said, uh, "No, I, I, I sold that to the the, the one pacer guy uh, that went to San Antonio uh, East, uh, David East." I go, yeah. <laughs> Tony East. That's David West. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Um, JJ, I want to give people kind of a perspective on what happens when a team goes on the road. The Pacers are getting set now. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson of Valley Sports, by the way, is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. So you're in Charlotte. Obviously, that's because the Pacers and Hornets are playing. But when when the team goes on the road for road trips, what does happen in terms of, you know, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. I mean, the game is, is at night, obviously. What is, the pro, what is the schedule and the routine for an NBA team when they go on the road? Well, it all depends on what the scenario was in the days leading up and, you know, whether it's the second half of the back-to-back. But if it's a situation like this where – you don't have a game the day before. Most of the time, especially early in the season, the team will have a shoot-around and they'll have a team meeting. So um, in this case, the Pacers have one hour on the court that they'll play on. Sometimes if it's an off day, you'll practice on a practice court facility. But you'll get to be on the court of the Spectrum Center. They'll do that from 11 to 12. They'll have a meeting prior to that. Uh, I'll go over with some of the staff members prior to that on a different bus. And, and once again, they'll have an hour to go through the game plan, get some shots up. If your buddy healed, you might stay another hour after that and get some additional shots up. Um, and then you have the afternoon to kind of take a nap and get ready to go. But then with the 7 o'clock game, you have to think about, you start getting ready about 2.30 or 3 because there's some staggered times for, you know, buses to get to the arena. And some, some cities, it's a little bit of a longer drive. Charlotte's one of the best ones in terms of staying downtown and, and basically going to the arena that's almost right across the street. So you, you start getting ready about three, and if like in this situation, the Pacers will play Houston Friday. We'll leave after the game, so you've got to pack up and get ready to go. So um, you do have some time throughout the course of the day, but it goes pretty quickly, especially when it's a 7 o'clock game and you're getting ready to go about 3 o'clock, 3.30. We'll see him tonight on Bally Sports. He is Jeremiah Johnson. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, good to go. LaMelo Ball, good to go. No Gordon Hayward. What else on the injury report should I be looking for? Any Chris Duarte update? No update. I mean, he was seen after practice getting a lot of shots up, and I think two weeks ago, well, actually it was about 10 days ago that Rick Carlisle said he'd give an update in two weeks. So we might be due for an update Thursday or Friday with Chris Duarte, but at least what was visible when when practice concluded and he was doing an additional workout, I've not seen him walking and and jumping and shooting with, with any kind of limp. So I think... Maybe one of the, the national reports that said, you know, four weeks, that might be a little bit of a stretch. I think he, every time Rick Carlisle's been asked about it, he said he's been progressing quite nicely, and, and what I've seen with my own eyes would, would back that up. So I wouldn't anticipate him tonight. I didn't actually see the morning injury report. But as you said, Tyrese Halliburton was the one that you were concerned about initially when he went to the locker room, but he came back so quickly. And actually, what what's a good story to share is that because he left earlier in the third quarter, he wanted to get back in the game earlier in the fourth quarter, and you would rarely see him start a fourth quarter, but he asked Coach Carlisle if he could get back in the game quickly, 
And so he started with that group that probably had never played, uh, you know, any minutes together. It included O'Shea Brissett and Isaiah Jackson and P.J. McConnell, and they changed the game. And so it does give you something else to think about, but he didn't practice on Monday, practiced on Tuesday, and pretty much sounded like he was good to go after practice yesterday. J.J., are the Pacers ahead of schedule here? And by that I mean we knew that it was going to be a, a season of exploring some things and trying out different combos. But have they already found – I'm not going to say that they're sitting here as a playoff team – but have they found a cohesiveness or some rotations that work for them perhaps faster than they thought they would? Perhaps. I mean, I, I, it's going to be tough to look at next year and the year after and say, are the five-man combinations you're seeing play right now, are they going to be still together next season? Obviously, you're building around Halliburton and Matherin and some of the other, you know, Isaiah Jackson, some of the young pieces Everyone else is sort of in an audition stage. And so anyone that can play well over an extended period of time, it, it boosts their resume and it makes them under heavy consideration to be a part of this group moving forward as far as the combinations you're saying. But I think it's more of the play together with. And so obviously Halliburton and Matherin, you're really watching when those two guys play together. You're really paying attention when Andrew Nemhard drives to the basket and is so comfortable throwing that alley-oop to Isaiah Jackson because you can envision that happening over the next two or three years. To your original question, are they ahead of schedule? Probably, but it's still only 10 games in. But I, I think back to a couple of different times in the preseason and the training camp when you heard Kevin Pritchard and even Chad Buchanan say there are going to be nights that we look really good and there are going to be nights you know, that we really struggle. Outside of that first week, maybe then you extend it into that game against Chicago. But since that Chicago game, there haven't been nights. There have been quarters and halves. But every game to me has been you know, such that I start the post-game show and I have a pretty good feeling. And that through 12 games, I would say at least nine of them, I'm like, this is this was a good step forward. This was a, you know, a positive experience. I enjoyed watching this game and I have a positive attitude about what I saw. And through 12 games last season, <laughs> maybe it was four out of 12. And so uh, I've, it's, been, uh, it's been maybe a pleasant surprise for sure. I've enjoyed what I've seen and we'll just continue to see you know, 12 games in, 6-6, six and six, you're not concerned about the record, but the overall body of work does give you reasons for excitement. And I know that... Speak for yourself, I'm not concerned about the record. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we got Jimmy the hey, Greek over here. Things like that, I know, I uh, we got... Uh, JJ, worry about the Bowen children education, <laughs> you'll care about it. JJ. I look at... You know, it... it when I look at Pacers teams of the past that were built, sometimes unpopular moves had to be made because they had log jams at certain positions. This particular group, to me, there are some promising players, but they seem to have kind of riches within, and again, I know that we're in positionless basketball to an extent, but they all seem to be like in that two to three area in terms of position in the old school that they would be. What is the missing piece? If Kevin Pritchard called you and said, okay, J.J., you've watched this team a lot. You've been in practices. We need what kind of a player to to mix in with this group. It would be what? I might agree with you that there's a lot of depth at the two. If it's a true three and it's that three and D type of player and even go back to you know the Paul George type of player, that would probably be where I would say you need to find one of those guys. Now that's easier said than done because so many teams are looking for players like that. And then you know you look at the front court, you've got a lot of centers. You've got a, um, Jalen Smith starting every game at the four, but you want to see 
some real steps forward this season and into next season if he's going to be your starting four of the future, and, and that's what he would choose to do. So I kind of maybe go 3-4 at this point with, with Miles Turner's contract situation and the other variable. But definitely good at, at the point guard and really – you know, a lot of guys that can play the two. Buddy Heald, I love watching him. I mean, I, I think of him still as a little bit of a two-three slash, and he and uh, Matherin can be interchangeable just a little bit. So, uh, Buddy Heald is someone I've enjoyed watching, and I don't mean to take anything away from him when I say the three and D type of player, the three position, but. Three four is probably where I'm looking at. It's Jeremiah Johnson. Um, I know he's got a Bobby Labonte exhibit tour coming up here in about an hour, so we want to make sure we don't keep Interstate him. Batteries tour. Yep, starts at nine forty five. Too right. much longer. Uh, JJ, uh, we are twelve games in. I mean, that is a, a you know small chunk, but it's certainly a chunk of the season. Like playing style wise, what have you seen so far? Like uneducated eye and haven't looked at the numbers, it would seem to indicate they're playing pretty fast. They're shooting a few more threes than I feel like they have in years past. Offensively and defensively, what have you seen trend wise here through 12 games? Well, in trading camp, a number of teams will say we want to play faster. I mean, it's kind of a goal for every team. And you get to January, February, and into the playoffs, you slow down a little bit. But I think they're playing exactly the kind of pace that Rick Carlisle and Mike Weiner, who kind of heads up the offense, wants. And, and maybe even I should throw Tyree Talbert into that, the kind of pace that he wants. Because you'll see if a ball goes out of bounds, he wants to get that as quickly as possible and get it and see if he can create an advantage. Because I think they realize that if they're going fast, it's better than their half-court set against a set defense, especially against the top third of the league in, in defense. So you want to take advantage of those opportunities. I think the pace is exactly what they want. The only issue with that is at times it's going to be tough to play really good defense when you're playing that fast. So I think the goal is probably if you could be a top 10 offensive team and middle of the pack defensively, and they've really improved since the first week defensively, but that's kind of where things are. And I really think that Ronald Nord heading up the defense has done a pretty good job, and they've made some strides. And obviously having Miles Turner back, that helps your defense as well. Hey, Ronald Norad, man, he is active in terms of just trying to get guys defensively in the right spots on every possession, right? Yeah, if you're at a game and Jake, your seat has a perfect vantage point, watch Ronald Norad during a game and see how many steps he takes and, and how loud he is and how much he's pointing out things. It's probably a lot easier when the defense is in front of him than they're on the other end of the court. And we're going to consider doing some, some mic'd up segments with players throughout the course of the season. I've made, an, I've made a push to recommend that one game we mic up Ronald Norris because Ooh. I think it would be highly entertaining. And I think he, I like uh, you would get a really good glimpse as to what he does during the course of a game. Like How that. far are you from uh, Monteo, North Carolina? Roanoke Island, I guess it is. Is that that's far from you, right? How the hell would he know that? Well, Andy Griffith's buried there. I mean, you got a chance to go see Andy Griffith's gravesite. You got to go, right? Um, you know, I, again, I I've, I've gone to Houston numerous times, and I'm going to head there this week. I'm not sure that I'm planning to go steal any astroturf. I, I just don't know that our mm-hmm. day off plans are very similar with you and I, Jake. Yeah, an afternoon nap or just go touch the headstone of Andy Griffith. Boy, I mean, really juggling things listen, there. Listen, do you know how difficult it is for me sometimes to have to put up with your guys' lack of adventure? I mean, come on. Jeremiah Johnson, Bally Sports, 6.30 night. Coverage begins 7 o'clock tip in Charlotte, as he said, in Houston Friday. Uh, back home for a few and then the big Western road trip uh, late November into December. JJ, safe travels. Uh, thank you. 
All right. Always enjoy coming on. <clears throat> Jeremiah Johnson, right? You know, uh, Jeremiah's sport coat had a loose button the other day, and one of the gals down at the scorer's table spent the entire first half sewing his button back on. Look at that. I mean, that's full service, well, right? That is 1,000%. I, no wonder Gamebridge Fieldhouse is always voted, like, number one consumer experience in the NBA. That's right. What? He wants to rebut the button issue. Go ahead. Oh. That's a rebuttonal. It was a rebuttoning as well. Go ahead, JJ. JJ, you got so, some button topics? Yeah. I mean, Jake's selling me out. I feel like I need to defend myself. Ooh. I, I don't. I don't know that I necessarily was claiming that you did anything wrong. You Mike had a, is all yours. You had what Feel appeared free. to be a loose button, and you had someone sew your button back on, right? Okay, just as long as no one thinks that you know the button broke just because the suit didn't fit. I, I was, oh, you know, in the in the aisle way. I was trying to allow people to walk through, and it's kind of tight quarters around there. And for it the is. second time in two seasons, I leaned up against the railing so someone could walk by, and the button got caught on the railing and then I'm, you know, lost. And it was right when I was getting ready to go do my first first quarter segment on, on the court and it's just a it's just kind of a helpless feeling. So credit the stage manager, Lindsay, did a fantastic job, found a sewing kit, put that button together before the halftime show. How about that? She worked on it for like yeah. literally the first half. It was very impressive, <laughs> actually. The more well, you can do she has to hand and area the cards for the sponsor reads, but in between doing that, she was also a seamstress. So uh, she's, I got to talk to the folks at Valley, give her a raise for that game. 1,000%. I thought they were playing so well, it just absolutely busted your buttons. You were so proud. I thought that's what it was. You could have gone with that, but you had to go with thin, t- tight quarters. That's I thought cool. he had chicken tenders yep. pregame, and all of a sudden, you <laughs> No, that's know. me. That's me. Yep. All right, well, all right. hopefully no button issues tonight, J.J. Uh, We're hoping everything stays put together. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jake, the uh, rebuild of the Indiana Fever continues. Their new head coach is going to join us right now. Her name is Christy Side. Some ties to the Fever before with Len Dunn and obviously a huge, huge franchise decision coming up with the number one overall pick as they continue to try and add to their young core, and Coach Sides joins us now. Coach, congrats on becoming the newest head coach of the Indiana Fever. Hey, good morning, guys. Thank you for having me on. And, um, yeah, thank you. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting time for me and my family, but uh, an exciting time for the Fever. I mean, that number one pick, first time ever. Uh, it's just an exciting exciting thing. things are happening around the Fever. Let's start with the why on your end. Why was this something you wanted to pursue? You know, I've been a lifer uh, when it comes to being an assistant coach. I've um, helped uh, coaches, you know, get teams who've never been to the playoffs, into the playoffs, and into the uh, WNBA finals. Um, I've loved the role of of someone's right-hand man, someone who's really heavily involved in the basketball piece, the development piece, um, and, and the culture. And it's just, 
you know, as a head coach, there's just so many things that go into um, other than the basketball that you have to, you know, to take care of. So it was always going to, you know, I just knew it was going to take me away. But, you know, timing is everything. And as soon as the season was done in Atlanta this this past season, um, Lynn reached out and when I tell you everything just fell into place, it really was a perfect timing thing. And when something like that is that easy um, and it just seems to happen and flow, you just it's really hard to push it and shove it away like I've done in the past. Coach, I was on – I took a trip with a buddy of mine about a month ago, and we were both in a city, and both of us as we were leaving said – wow, like that city is way underrated. Like that was a really cool place. And both of us like, I could live there. And you never hear people talking about it. That was Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is your hometown, if I'm not mistaken. Now, since growing up in Baton Rouge, you have coached in Evanston, Illinois. You've coached in Russia. You've coached in Slovakia. You've coached in Chicago. You've coached collegiately at Louisiana Tech. So my question for you is, as you go around and you take a circuitous route from a coaching standpoint, is the game the same everywhere, or are there styles of play or different ways that you pick up along the way where all of them then kind of become ingredients towards what we see with the fever? I mean, I, that is a great statement um, and question. You you take all those ingredients um, from every experience that you've had, and, and I've been really blessed to have a lot of great experiences um, all over the country, all over the world. Um, I've coached, you know, some of the best players in the world from, you know, from the smallest countries um, like the Slovakia and the Serbia um, and, and, and to Russia. And, you know, you just have all these ingredients, like you said, and you just have to, you know, building a program is, is not, it's a really hard thing. It takes, you know, the key one is tough people. Um, you got to have tough people to do that. You got to have people aligned doing it, the, you know, all the right things the right way. And and those are some of the things I've taken. I mean, the basketball, you know, all the different philosophies and offenses and defense, but it really comes back to your personnel. Now, I'm curious, when you're in Moscow and you order a Moscow mule, do you call it that or is it just a mule? Do you just say, I want a mule and they know what it is? I mean, I, I think they just knew what it was. You just <laughs> they bring you a horse. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she is Christy Sides. She's the new head basketball coach for the Indiana Fever. Coach, your energy seems to be pretty infectious through the phone. I'm curious just your your style as a head coach. Obviously, last year the Fever bounced around to a lot of venues, all back at Gamebridge Fieldhouse this coming season. If we show up to a game, what style are we going to see? You're gonna. We are going to put a, a team on the floor that's going to play so hard that's the first thing you're going to recognize. You're going to recognize that they're going to be diving on the floor for loose balls. Um, I am a defensive-minded um, first coach, so um, that's, you, you know, talking and communicating, all the things that go into playing good defense, that's what you're going to recognize first. Um, and also styles of the game, uh, kind of like the question you asked earlier. The style and the new way we're playing is fast. It's across the board fast. Um, our pace, we're going to play with a pace which is exciting for the fans, and, and the players like to play that way. We're going to spread the floor. Uh, we're going to find people that can shoot the basketball. We're going to make you guard us and help, and we're going to kick and We're going to find shooters that can knock it down. Have you eaten it Yats here in town? I'm curious, like, how authentically gumbo it is. You know, <laughs> you know what? I've, I've, t- I've tended to shy away from the, the seafood um, 
up up in that area, but I'm willing to try anything. I've actually heard there's a couple places that have some good seafood up there. But you know, man, I, I'm from Baton Rouge, but I live on the Gulf Coast in Mississippi. It's where my home is, and we actually have the gumbo fest happening here on Saturday. So, you know, we do it differently down here. We we use some things and some seasons and things that you know you guys just don't put in your food up there. Have, have you been to it. Have you been to Bay St. Louis? I'm I'm actually 15 minutes from Bay St. Louis. I spend a lot of time down there. Heck yeah! You know what? I'll tell you what, Coach. I spent time down in Bay St. Louis about two weeks. Uh, this is about 10 years ago. But um, if you can bring to the fever, not that they need it or not that we need it here, but just the overall generosity of people in southern Mississippi and in the Gulf. I mean, a lot of those people down there, you're talking about people that don't necessarily have a lot, but man, they are so open and so warm and so kind. That might be the nicest part of the... I know that you guys want to be a little bit mean when you're playing basketball, but that might be the nicest part of the country. Yeah, it's it's a great place down here on the Gulf Coast. It's, um, like you said, you know, there's you know, there's some unfortunate people here, but like everybody is warm and, and generous and, and do what they have. And to meet people from like Indianapolis or from away, there's people travel here all the time and, and they really enjoy their experience. Coach, we'll end with this. Um, in your mind, where are the fever at in this rebuild? Obviously there's been some trying times on the court for the franchise over the past couple of seasons. We see the Pacers having a very energized start to the year. Um, where would you kind of pin the rebuild right now uh, for your guys? Yeah, um, I, I really think, I know this is kind of a, uh, I have to get the right people on the bus. Um, I have to do that as it relates to, to the coaches that I hire, um, you know, the players, um, and, and just the, the people around that's going to help me keep this culture, to build a culture and a structure. Um, it's going to be different. You know, I've been really excited over the weekend, but I'm kind of mad, you know, I keep telling myself, I've got to, you know, I've, the word's got to be, we've got a lot of work to do, um, and, and that's going to be important. But i got to get the right people on the, on the bus. i got to develop the right people. Um, and then at the end of the day, keep it simple and control the controllables. And um, if I can do that um, and establish, you know, our values and have our players buy into it, it's going to be their values, actually. They're going to put them into place. And, um, you know, we're going to put a product on the floor, and it's going to be exciting, and we're going to grow and build and, and hopefully get this thing moving in the right direction. Well, did you really score 3,375 points in high school? I, I didn't learn to pass or play wow. defense. Until <laughs> like, <college. laughs> how many assists were mixed in there? It's a neon green That's light. impressive. I mean, the all-time record in Indiana is 31-34 for boys, so 33-75 is not messing around. That's impressive. Yeah, I really hate watching myself now because it's not what I teach by no means. <laughs> hey, Fair enough. shoot or shoot, I don't, I, I don't blame you. Again, Chris Sides, the new head coach of the Indiana Fever. Coach, congrats. I know it's been something you've uh, looked for really throughout your entire career. What an opportunity, and uh, best of luck to you. Hey, thank you guys. I really appreciate it again bringing me on this morning.